Welcome back to the Project Alchemy podcast. Today's guest is Hari Kandabalu. Hari is a renowned comedian, writer, and podcaster based in Brooklyn. He's done multiple Netflix specials, and he was the creator of the 2017 documentary, The Problem with Apu. Join us as we discuss his transition from a day job to stand-up comedy, navigating the changing comedic landscape, and finding work-life balance in creative fields. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Hari. I wanted to talk to you a little bit specifically about your transition from like doing stand-up on the side to doing stand-up full-time. Because I remember um, hearing you talk a, lo- a lot about how you went back and forth a lot. Like I think there was like a time that you like were working and then went on like an I think it was the Tonight Show or like like a night like a night show, and you just like went sure. back to work the next day. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to like kind of hear your process about how you like kind of finally decided to make that leap into doing stand up full time and like why that happened. Sure, I mean part of the hesitancy of doing it full time was that like there weren't that many South Asians like doing stand up successfully, like you know Aziz was the one that broke through Russell Peters, who was mostly big in, uh, in Canada and rest of the world. Uh, in the U S he always broke through in terms of like a, you know, uh, Asian South Asian audience, but not in like the way Aziz was like mainstream. So there weren't that many examples of like being able to do this full time. And, you know, I had been working as an immigrant rights organizer and I'd gotten, you know, uh, uh, while I was doing it as a hobby, I, I appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I got a manager. I, you know, then went to grad school at LSE and got a master's in human rights. I didn't trust the, um, you know, the idea that comedy was going to happen. Like, the, you know, the, the landscape was very different in 2005, you know, and before. Like, there wasn't a, it just, it didn't seem feasible. Um, it didn't seem realistic. And, you know, I'm somebody who was fortunate enough to have a great education. I went to Bowdoin College. And then, you know, then at LSE, it's like, I have all these things. I was working as an organizer. There's a lot of things I can, I can do that aren't just jokes. Like, is this really the best use of my time? When I was at LSE, I got asked to be on a show called Live at Gotham on Comedy Central. It was like a showcase show where like, uh, you know, they pick new comics and this is their first thing. And the idea is that it'll be the transition potentially to a Comedy Central Presents. And, you know, it's like their first step. So they flew me out from London to do that. And I, it went well. And, you know, I think heading back to London, I, I just remember thinking that, like, this must mean something. Like, if I'm not even doing stand-up professionally and I've already been on TV twice, and I have a manager. It must mean that I'm good. And it must mean that, like, um, I just haven't really pursued it full time. Because if I'm doing this as a hobby and this is happening, what happens if I really push it? And so, you know, I, I finished my uh, my exams and I wrote my dissertation and uh, re- went back and went to Seattle to figure out how to perform again because I hadn't really done it very much for, for a year. and. Um, then moved back to New York and decided to go all in. And I, you know, I wanted to quit a lot that first year. 
you know, when it, when I moved to New York, like 2009, like I wanted to quit. 2010, I wanted to quit. Like it was just really difficult because when I was in Seattle, it was a small scene and I stood out. And, you know, when I, when I was at Bowdoin doing stand-up as a college student, I stood out. And I was like so good at like being big fish, small pond and having you know, the ability to do whatever I wanted creatively. New York doesn't work that way. New York's expensive. New York is a lot more competition for stage time. Uh, you know, I walked in with the idea, well, I've been on TV twice. And it's like a lot of people have been on TV twice here. It's not as uh, big a thing as it as I thought it would be. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think your accolades are. You still have to prove it. And you still have to earn your keep. And you still have to perform at uh you know different levels and prove that hey i i'm actually good enough to to be on the better shows and to do some clubs so um yeah but i wanted to quit you know i was living at home in queens deep in queens in jamaica queens with my folks you know i was 20 that point 26 and it was like what is the point of this 25 26 living at home which my parents loved because that was always their their dream of like I just I'd move back home but um I'm like what is like I have a, a master's level education and I'm passionate about other things and if people don't even want me to perform here if I'm not getting stage time what is the point and it was my mom my dad too but my my mom who kept saying you've never quit anything like you know you've you didn't love your time at college and you wanted to transfer a bunch, but you stuck through it and you ended up getting a lot out of it. And, um, you know, you, you don't quit. And, you know, this is coming from somebody who didn't want me to pursue standup. So again, that's why it, it meant something. Like when I initially brought up standup as a kid and as a, you know, a young adult out of college, like it was something that she was so against, like, what do you, you know, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't happen for, for Indian people, like we don't get to do things like that. This isn't, it's not open to us. They don't want us. And to see her change and to say like, um, you don't quit. Like you just started this journey and it, it's going to be hard. And if after a couple of years, you're like, this isn't worth it, fine. But you, you're still in the middle of it. And my dad has always believed, he's like one big break. That's all you need. One big break. You're going to get it. Just keep working. And for both of them who were, you know, immigrants who sacrificed a lot, who supported a kid through, you know, what were not cheap colleges. And you know, they put themselves through a lot to to get that much to support somebody who was pursuing a very unreliable career, you know, to support your son through something that is not easy at all, considering how many, how, how many comics there are and how much talent there is. And you know, that that belief kind of helped push me like, hey, if they have it, like if they believe that strongly in, in me, I, I must be all right. You know, I must, I, you know, that that honestly, like if they were against it, I think I, it would have broke me just because I was already like, what is the point of this? I'm not getting up and just started working harder started going to Seattle and the Bay Area to write new jokes because I had a tough time writing new stuff in New York because in New York, it felt like every time you're on stage, especially early on, you got to deliver. They have to see that you're good enough in order to, you know, I can take risks now, I can I can bomb. And it's like, well, I've already done enough. But back then it was like, 
you know, you got to nail it. You have to show people that you're worth getting on the bigger shows. You have to show people that you belong here. And so I'd go to Seattle and, and the Bay Area to work things out and make mistakes and get stronger. And then I'd go back to New York. And, you know, after a few years, it was like, this is, something's happening. Then I was on John Oliver's New York stand-up show. Then I had a Comedy Central special. And then, you know, at, at that point, things started rolling. But um, slowly slowly rolling but still like you know my career has never been like a skyrocket it's always been kind of like ebbs and flows which are a lot of careers you know like you have a hot stretch and then you plateau and you have another one and you know i i try to listen to what chris rock always said like he said every every career slump i've ever had i've written my way out of it and i think a lot about that like just keep writing and something will happen. So, um, you know, I, 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 I persevered, but I, you know, I really didn't want to pursue stand-up when it got hard because I wasn't prepared for that. You know, Seattle was like, I was good at the small scene. College, I was the only show in town. New York, it was like, I got, you know, it was the first time I had to fight for it. And me being good and having something to say wasn't enough. Um, but you know, I think my folks really gave me a boost, you know, the people who already liked my stuff, which was a really small amount of people, but they kept asking me to perform in their towns. And I'm like, I don't have a fan base to perform in your cities, but you know, it was nice to hear people watching my stuff online and asking me to do more like, um, this is, you know, this is, this is all part of it. Also, all the comics that had been doing this for decades and didn't make the progress I made hobbying, you know, being a hobbyist for a couple of years, like it felt almost disrespectful to them not to push harder. So that's kind of what took me to the next step of like, okay, um, you're going to do this. I gave myself at three years, every three years I check in with myself and see if I wanted to do three more. Did it feel like I'd made enough progress? Did I feel like um, it was worth doing? And I still had a master's degree, and I still, you know, had other things I could fall back on. You know, it was a it was a very conservative risk. You know, it was like a like most people, I think, when they pursue a thing, it's like they're head down, all in, taking. You know, I I never had that because I didn't trust it. So, you know, I probably I'm overeducated, overqualified for the job I have. But like, you know, if you, you know, I was always very like, keep writing, keep performing when you can. And, you know, when it got to the point where I had to make a decision, I went for it. And, you know, I fought through, but, you know, I was really careful about that choice. Um, partly out of fear, partly out of you know, respect for my folks and their journey. And, and, you know, partly because I knew what comedy felt like when it felt great. I knew what it felt like when you had stage time and people wanted to see you. And the idea of losing that to any degree was painful. Like, you know, if I wanted that, I'd move somewhere else. But I came here to like, you know, kind of stake a claim that I'm, you know, part of this larger community that I'm gonna be a full-time professional stand-up comic and i'm gonna be good and you know i got there but um you know it 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 took a lot like now there's no more three-year extensions because i you know i've been doing this long enough i'm aware of what skills i don't have in the real world at this point 
uh, Excel I struggle with. I mean, if you're struggling with Microsoft Excel, it's kind of like, <laughs> all right, I guess this is it. I guess this is uh, this is it. I'm going to be doing stand-up. I'm going to be doing podcasting. I'm going to be doing perf- things where I'm performing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I decided to really push, you know, push through when I, I really didn't want to. And uh, one last thing I'll say is, you know, there is guilt. There is still, like, as somebody who was an organizer who was going to immigrant detention centers and seeing families being broken apart and seeing people who were, like, victims of hate crimes, like, really going through, like, really seeing a lot of ugliness and feeling like I was doing a good job and supporting communities and organizing, I think um, it, it, it was a lot, it was a lot of guilt. Like, it seems like a waste of the privileges I've been given. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I got a lot of messages from people who were organizers and who were activists telling me how, like, my comedy like really pushed them and helped them and it was something they listened to when they were struggling or it, it felt like I, I there was still value you know what i mean and and that was something that kind of kept pushing me like i don't like calling myself an activist because i feel that i know like i know people who actually sacrifice everything and are paid part-time for full-time work like i don't think i'm that but the idea that i am somehow somebody who um is is supporting the causes I believe in, supporting the, you know, maybe on some level the people that like are doing the work. It it helps me justify doing this still. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I was very curious about was the fact that you're a very high level academic. It's funny. Uh, Namish and I were talking about how the other comedian we talked to like was also very high level academic went to law school passed the bar sort of thing like very different paths than a lot of comics take in terms of you mentioned kind of the burning the boats type of thing so how is it like for you at the stark contrast of academia where you have a very structured schedule you have assignments that are due at this time and all of a sudden you know your work is at night late when your people are going out for entertainment and you have like this open time of like what do i do with this now like, how is it like entering that full time and really experiencing like, wait, this isn't go to lecture, go to this and have a, a large, you know, paper due um, or an exam. Yeah. This is kind of so much more open ended. That's a great that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, th- I think I realized when I started doing it full time that my study habits weren't particularly strong because when you have that much free time. Like you have to impose deadlines on yourself. You, at that point, it's not a matter of you have to get this in, and maybe you can sneak an extension or two. But like, no, you're you're setting the deadline. You're giving yourself extensions. You're in charge. And I I struggled with that, you know. And I struggled with that for a good like majority of my career, and I still struggle with it, you know. I it it requires a certain level of discipline, and it also to some degree forces you to take some romantic notions of art uh, and put them to the side, especially when you're doing it professionally. Work has to get done. And that means writing jokes. That means 
writing pitches for TV show or podcasts. It means like emails, endless emails, like everyone has. It it means being on top of, uh, on on top of your career, right? And not just the like, well, it's it's magical to perform at night, and the jokes will come to me when they come to me, and it's a magical process. No, it's work, and. Also, you know, I've written enough things that never have seen the light of day. Like there, there is work there. Even if I'm not feeling inspired, there are enough things I've started working on. There's enough jokes that I wrote in a notebook and never looked at again. There's, there's work to be done. You know, there's always work to be done. And I, you know, I've always struggled with that. Like just focusing the time I have because the job at night isn't enough. Um, you know, when I'm performing at night, it's especially in New York, you know, a lot of the gigs are target practice, you know, small audiences, you're just trying to, you know, perfect things. And then you have the big gigs. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you're not writing new stuff, if you're not prepared and using the time well, you're wasting it. Like, yeah, I could do old material and, and do fine. But I'm not going to go anywhere with that. Like, it, it, it's, it's the constant writing and development. And you know, I'm best still with deadlines. I'm best when I, you know, especially when someone else tells me this has to be done by this date, like that's when something clicks in me, whether it's fear or whatever that I had as a student, it clicks. But the idea of setting it myself, like I'm so like inconsistent with that. And, you know, the thing that drove me during the last special for vacation, baby, was the best I'd ever done in terms of time management. You know, I got that thing done from start to finish in four to four to six months. Usually it takes me years. Part of it was I had a lot of time to write during the pandemic, but part of it was I have a kid and there's a drive to like, well, I need to get this done. And I, you know, it means time away from my kid. It means my partner has to do more work. So how do I be fair? It means that you have to focus. You have to, when you're home, be present. And when you're, you know, when the kids asleep, when the kids at school, you write and write and write. And then when you do a set, you listen to the tape and you go through each joke and see if there's holes you can fix. Like, you know, that process, I, I head down and, and made something just from from will and lots of focus. You know, it got me thinking, too, like if I just kept that with almost everything I did, what could I do? Um. But yeah, it is very difficult when there's the temptation of sleeping as long as you want. There's the temptation of watching whatever you want. There's the temptation of just wandering around like you're free and your money doesn't get made during the day. It it seems like in truth, like your money is being made in the day. You just don't see it in the day. It's, you know, when you stop writing, that's the like in creating, that's the death of the artist. Right. And when you're pursuing it as a career, that's dangerous. You know, this is this is a very fickle business. It's a really uh, audiences move to, you know, to the next person. They, you know, they age and you have to stay relevant and young. And that takes work. You know, I'm never going to be 20 again. But I think if you write things that reach all people in a on a, on a level, because there's some thought and depth and something people can connect to, um, you know, you'll be f- I hope to think you're fine, but you have a fighting chance. But if you don't, like, you know, I've seen enough comics were doing the same stuff 20 years. And I'm like, where, where is this going? And I don't want my life to be that way. I don't want, I want it to, you know, I want to keep making art 
that is challenging and interesting and reaches lots of people. And I also want to be a, a good parent who is present. So it just means more focus than I ever have. And it's a struggle, you know? It's a shame that 100%. it took me this long to get there, but, you know, I'm, I'm more focused than I have been in the past, for sure. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you listened this far, I truly appreciate it. If you could do me a favor, please share the podcast however you found it, whether it was on social media, through a friend, or even myself. It would mean the world to us if you've been enjoying the episode. Take a few seconds just to share it. Enjoy the rest of the show. You touched upon some things I wanted to ask you and kind of like a two-pronged question, I guess, which was, what do you think has changed about the current landscape surrounding comedy since you started? Because, you know, with like social media and whatnot, a lot has changed. And then like also partly like what has changed as you've gotten older and gone through different stages of life? Like you just talked about like you want to be like a really present parent, right? And like things like that. And like how have you kind of navigated growing older and then also the changing landscape as you're growing older? Sure. I mean, in terms of changing landscape, there's there's a greater diversity of talent in, in acting and in writing and in performing. I've seen so many South Asians say that they, you know, well, first of all, like who are incredible performers, but they also tell me like I was one of the people that inspired them and is, is the reason they're doing it, which makes me feel very old. And I wish they would only say that in documentaries after I die uh, to actually have to hear it when you're still working artist, as as kind as it is, and as much as it it makes me feel like I've, I've accomplished something, it, it, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're 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 that old and you know just inspire people and still can't compete, right? Uh, you know, I think about like you know Roger Federer when he you know the dudes like when he was in his late thirties, he wasn't winning as much, and I'm sure he liked people saying thank you, but he wanted to win tournaments. You know, he still wanted to win tournaments. Like his body broke down at the end, but he still wanted to win. And I, you know, I could have used Djokovic as the example, but I don't like him, so I went, I went with Federer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still like have the, that 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 drive. Um, but l- let me finish answering your first question. So that's one thing, right? There's there's more diverse. There's social media and the internet in general have changed how you do things like you you have to be sufficient in tech or hire somebody who is um you have to update often you're spending time doing actual like work whether it's subtitling things or putting a bit like stuff that like i really don't want to do i want to create things i don't want to post videos and constantly produce content like the content i want to make is the art that i want to pursue but there's a drive to constantly produce stuff that to me, what the hell's the point of it? And the point is if it gets people into seats to actually do what I do. So, you know, it's, it's, that's all new. Cause when I started, it was just, you write your jokes, you perform and you do the best you can. And the fact I had an email list, the other comics thought I was nuts. Like, you know, why are you setting up emails? Like, you know, this is 2005, 2006. And I'm like, I want people to come back to the shows. And that was seen as innovative. Like now we're in, you know, a time where you just the constant plugging and the constant presence and the got to stay in people's minds. And I really don't like it, but that's that's where we're at in terms of like adapting to it. I mean, I've had to, you know, I'm reluctant often, you know, like I was very I've always been slow to adapt social media 
like and i i usually get on once everybody else is on and that's a mistake and i know that i know that part of this game now is not simply being good it's about like getting the numbers and different platforms and showing the industry that you have a draw like before they would gatekeep which has strengths and and weaknesses The, the weaknesses is that like there's perfectly good people that had no way to prove they were good because the industry was judging who had a chance and who didn't. Um, so a lot of marginalized people didn't get a chance because there was no proof. And so once the you, you see numbers of followers and and number of views, it's hard to dispute that. And that opened up tons of opportunities. Like, I guess there are markets for a broader range of people. Um, so that's that's good. The bad is that means that art is now this thing that's numerical. You know, to survive in the industry, something is is numerical before you even have a chance to be invested in. You know, you have to invest in yourself in a way that's that's hard, uh, both in terms of time, money, energy, everything. That's that is a big difference, and uh, you know that, and that's frustrating, especially somebody who whose mindset is so different. Because I started in an era where, like, just perform. You just perform and you, people will find you. And now it's like people will find lots of people. This isn't the days where like people, there was limited stuff online and they had to watch TV if they were going to see stand up and they had to come to the shows. You have to be like constantly working to be present. And, you know, even something like creating a special, like its value is not as a complete work of art to most people. It's values and clips. Which kills me because you put an hour together that has a point of view and a direction and people just watch it in chunks that, you know, out of context to me, you know, is not the full experience. But that's what people want. And that's, you know, where the landscape has changed. You know, I'm reluctantly adjusting to it. I don't love it. But I also know like this is about like surviving in an industry that is, like I said before, fickle. And is really like everything becomes a young person's game. Like, you know, your youth is, you know, you know, 20 to 40 are pivotal. Like those are the years where like you have the most energy. And usually, you know, for a chunk of that, if you don't have kids and and all like you, you have free reign over your time a lot more. I mean, everyone's life is different. Everybody has different family circumstances and financial circumstances. You know, day jobs aren't the most fun things in the world. But I will say, like, when I had a job and wanted to do comedy, I was almost more focused because I knew the time I had to do comedy was so tight that I just had to be on top of it. Um, so, you know, the, the for me, I think it's now navigating, having less time because I have a kid, knowing there's a lot more competition, knowing there's a lot more talent. It's not just competition. Like... I think the people, the kids who start comedy now are more talented than my generation was because they've had more to watch. They've had more to take in. They've learned more styles. They have a broader taste. Like, you know, in addition to being young, which means you're automatically more relevant, right? So um, that's a lot. Like, I have knowledge. I have skills. Um, but just the people starting up, like, that, that head start is shrinking. So it, it requires me to have to work harder. It's like it's like anybody who doesn't want to be replaced. You have to keep training so you're still like valuable. And that's that's what it feels like. I think that's true with for anybody who's older. At a certain point if AI replaces all of us, this is moot. But 
um, you know, for the time being, like it's on it's on me to not have, you know, be replaced by, you know, somebody who is hungrier and maybe younger than I am. I have to stay hungry and I have to stay like on top of my game. Um, so, yeah, that it's it's that's I think how I'm responding to the changing landscape is just trying to stay focused, trying to work as hard as they do, because people are putting up clips every day. I don't know if it's a great strategy, but they're putting up clips every day. They're constantly, in addition to going out at night and like, you know, for me, like I'd like to have a life outside of this. And cause I have a family and that change, they really like I, I, the division between work and home has become a little more rigid than it used to. I need to be present when I'm present. That wasn't the case before, you know? So yeah. I mean, th- that's how I think I'm responding to it. Just you got to work harder. It's not easy. You just got to keep working harder. Yeah. And to go back your, to your Roger I'll do, Federer I'll analogy. Do one, more. <laughs> uh, one more question you, go, said, you said is good. All right. Sweet. Yeah. yeah go, no, tell me about the Roger Federer analogy. Yeah, just yeah. I, I I'll, I'll run right into it. So the Roger Federer analogy is that um, the older you get in your career also, you have to focus on like you had to stay pliable, had to do more stretching, had to do more training. Like then the younger guy who just yeah. can, you know, stay out late, wake up and have a match the next morning because that individual, you know, is getting later. So they have to stay relevant with the new stuff and how the players are playing. Same with comedy. You have to be kind of privy to those new devices and the things that people use. Um, but the last question that we ask everyone on the podcast today is if you can give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? Oh, learn, learn to study, learn to focus, learn to like, you know, I got my work done and I was good and I went to good schools and stuff. But, you know, I, I think some of that, you know how to slide by. I also met people like throughout that, like knew really got drafts of papers done weeks in advance, got their papers done before they were due. I was never good at that. I was always late. I always got extensions. I, you know, my brain was always else. What I don't think I realized is that while I was, you know, doing other things, whether it was goofing around or writing jokes or whatever else, like, and that there's value in that, especially when you're like 18, 19, 20. The skills I actually would need later, I was developing at school and i didn't realize it like when you know when when art is romantic and it ends up being a hobby or something that takes your time away from probably the things you should do there's something great about that when it becomes commerce when it becomes a a job it's different you have to be on top of it The, the stakes are higher and learning to study learning to read like really focus learning to to analyze and stuff like it takes a lot of energy and a lot of brain power, but that's what it what it took to be a, a good student. And I, I was fine, but I floated by a lot. I, I went a, a lot on natural intelligence and being a good listener. But like, um, you know, the last thing you want to feel is you wasted potential. That is that is the most painful thing that what you could have done. What if I had just been more focused here? What if I had just gotten this done faster than the other person? What if the, this idea, like I thought about, it seemed like years ago, finally came to fruition, fruition sooner than somebody else, like who thought of it after me? Like it's on you. And so, like, learn to study, learn to use your time well, learn to like, like really focus the day. It's not to say don't have fun, don't have breaks, but 
be disciplined because whatever you do, like I'm, I'm speaking as somebody who wishes they were more disciplined, who feels like, you know, I could, I feel like I've done a lot, but I could, you know, feel, I often feel like I could have done even more if I just knew how to just focus during the day and not just have my head kind of in, you know, my head, like I was often living in my head and that's great. And I think artists do that, but you can live in your head and still write it down regularly and still focus on the task at hand, you know, stand up shows and jokes are still writing and they're structured. You know, you have to go out on stage and figure it out. But the first step is to know what it is you want to do. And, and a lot of the writing, the romantic part is still on stage with the audience when you're sorting through it and figuring it out. And that's all magic. But, um, you know, that still requires you to be ready for that. So go out every, you know, for, for younger people, if you're interested in stand up performing, you have to perform as much as you can. You have to go out there and take your bumps. That might work for anybody, regardless of profession. Just like, yeah, take your hits and, and you keep going. It's easy to say this, by the way, and I'm sure it's easy to understand, but it's good to be reminded because when you're in it, you forget, you know, like you, you really do. I still, you know, take a beating and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can get up, but you have to get up. Like, really, honestly, like it, it's things are really competitive and hard. And if you want to choose a life that, is you know you know there are people who want a nine to five and the the pay is steady and like that's one life and but if you want to achieve more and succeed more and break boundaries and do things it it requires a little less sleep a little more focus and um not wasting your time so that's the biggest piece of advice i'd give myself like don't waste your time it's the most valuable thing you have and i'm not saying that simply um like in terms of school i'm like it, what whatever you do with your time like i'm not saying there isn't time to binge on game of thrones i'm just saying that like which i did and uh, you know it is very good and depressing <laughs> um but make sure like you know the stuff on your list gets done because you know when you're on your own like no one's gonna help you it's it's on you to to, to lift yourself up so that's what i tell myself just like Pay attention now because you're going to need this stuff later more than you think you do. 100%. Well, Hari, thank you so much for... I appreciate um, it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Um, it was like, it was a great conversation. We loved hearing your story. Um, and yeah, as always, guys, peace.